Okay, well, um, I th- was going to be on tonight, but he felt that I should share something that I'd shared while we were away because he felt it was the, the word for tonight. And in one sense, I, I agree. I think it's right. I think it's, you know, when things are bubbling in your spirit and you know, and, uh, you know, we've just got half an hour or so to try and get, oh, so much out there. It's so amazing that when you're on a journey of revelation is how much comes to you. And then you realize that when you want to deliver it, you want to deliver it all. Oh, come on, get excited, please. Um, But I'll do my best to keep it condensed best I can. Um, A little while back, I uh, spoke um, in this church and I I don't know whether you remember, but I spoke about the parable of the, uh, the wise and foolish virgins. Uh, it's a story that, you know, many long-term churchgoers are familiar with. And I brought a, a new angle on it. And just over the last um, months, I have been looking at all the parables, all the things that Jesus said and the stories he told, and boy, are they looking different now than they ever did before. Now, why is that? It's because if you've been brought up, and, and remember, and I've got to sort of give some of you a little bit of background. Some of you have known me for a very long time. Some of you don't know me at all. But I was born into a church-going family, and not just a church-going family, but ministers in the sense that they were, what would you call them? Vicars? Vicar and his wife running a church, which is very different than just being nominal churchgoers. So all my life was very much centered around a belief, a doctrine, what was the right thing to do, what was the wrong thing to do, what we proclaimed as being the gospel. And so I am now 56 years old. And over the last 11 years, I have found that everything or a lot of what I was given in that early period of my life, I have had to question. And unfortunately, it didn't stand the test of time, and it came crashing to the floor. Now, that's not a bad thing. We all think, ah, that's terrible. No, actually, that's quite a good thing, because it means we're growing. I love the fact that um, anything that is concrete, nothing grows out of concrete. So if we feel that we concrete about certain things, you'll find that it's pretty staid and pretty dull. Do you get me? That's why we're meant to be flexible. Now, does that mean that we can believe whatever we like whenever we like? No. But I don't believe God's that petty that that he's so staunch. I mean, we're, for crying out loud, we've just been in Salt Lake City We've had a whale of a time wandering around this center of Mormonism. It's been awesome. Just has. And it's not bothered me one little bit that this group of people have got all these sort of ideas. Strange as I might, I might think they are. And you heard what I said. I might think they are. But that's because I've had a particular upbringing. Do you get me? And so those things are very much... Do you get me? Oh, Do you know, I'm never going to get to this if I carry on, but never mind. Are you following what I'm saying? I think that we focus on some stuff that is totally unimportant. When actually, (laughs) at the center, there's something very simple. 
And that is that God in Christ was reconciling the whole world to himself. Now you could say, how was he doing that? Do you know, I'm not sure much of the time. But one thing I'm very sure of is he did. So, I don't even know where I am now. Is this okay? You like me to ramble, don't you? Okay. Anyway, I'll get back to what I was talking about. These parables have really got me because I've realized that the more that we go on the journey of understanding God's unconditional love, his incredible grace for mankind, and his total acceptance of everyone, once you get that understanding, and I've mentioned it a minute ago about his relentless tenderness, his compassion for mankind. Once you start looking at the Bible through those eyes and that lens, everything is different. Now, I've been reading a book recently, and this guy is pointing out that when Jesus was speaking and he was saying his stuff, everybody that was sat around him, I love this word, salivating waiting for the gory bit and what he says in this book is that he gave it to them and why did he give it to them because he thought to himself well I've just given you the good news of the gospel but you can't hear it so I'll tell you what you want to hear everybody's gonna burn and they're going Oh, yeah, that's all right. I like that. Oh, why? Why do we like that? Oh, that's what I've been told all my life. Oh, yeah, that's good. All right, we can go home now. I'll, that's not what he says in the book. He writes it much better. That's my take on it. And I actually, the more I read it, the more I realize we're all a bit like that. Think about it. How we measure ourselves with one another. I'm better than them. They're not as bad as me, however it goes. Because we actually all want in, in our hearts to find a way of knowing in ourselves that we're okay. And those disciples in that day wanted to know that they were okay. And the more that Jesus expanded his ministry into the no-go areas, imagine how they felt. Well, if, if they're in, what about me? You get me? And so what Jesus was more or less doing is saying, I'm going to give you the truth. But if you can't hack it, all right, then I'll tell you what you want to hear. Okay. I'll leave that with you. But the Bible constantly talks about the kingdom of God being like. Yeah? It's like this. It's like that. And what I've understood over the recent weeks, is when it says the kingdom of God is like, you enter this journey into something that you hope's going to give you great information that concretes it all, <laughs> but it doesn't concrete it at all. <laughs> Why am I laughing? Because I'm, 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 I'm introducing you to a gospel that actually can hardly be grasped. He says, it's going to be like this. But then it's like, well, no, but it's going to be like this. Well, if it's like that, how can it be like that? You know what I mean? It's, but it's quite fascinating because Jesus himself keeps the mystery going. Because if the mystery doesn't keep going, oh, me, 
you will always claim that we've got it and claim that somebody else hasn't. Isn't that the truth? Somebody say, ouch. Okay, this is what I like. The more I read, the more I understand is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, whatever word you want to use, is alive and working in the world and it's doing its thing, whether you like it or not, whether you see it or not, whether it's doing it the way that you want it or not, the kingdom of God is working. There's a parable that talks about the yeast that's put into a ball of dough to make bread. Who's bread makers in here tonight? Whoa! If you use liquid yeast and you mix it with some warm milk and you pour it in and you mix it up, try to separate the yeast from the dough once you've mixed it in. Can you? And you put it in a warm place and what happens? It grows. The Bible says the kingdom of God is like yeast in dough. Be nice to use the illustration that the dough is the world. The yeast is the message of the gospel that's been put into the whole lump. Woo! The whole lump. Oh, so why is the church so upset about all these places that don't know about the kingdom? It's been put in the whole lump. For goodness sake. It's doing this. Is that a good illustration? I don't know. What does yeast do? It's doing something, isn't it? Is it talking to each other? I don't know. But it's doing something. The yeast, the kingdom is working in the whole earth. So why have we got this idea that somehow we're on the losing side? That bread is going to rise and that bread is going to be put in an oven and it's going to be cooked and it's going to be food for the entire world. Huh. Do you like this sort of gospel? I do. It's good news. There's another example of this and this is where I was totally out of line for many, many years. The parable of the sower. The guy goes out he sows the seed, some lands on rocky ground, some lands in thistles, and some, the birds of the air swoop down and pick it up and gobble it up. But some land in good soil and grows really wonderfully. And what have we focused on? The good soil. But where did the seed land? Everywhere. Sorry, I just had to do a little dance. Yeah, but then there's the, 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 the interpretation of the, the story. And it says, the birds of the air represent the devil who swoops down and seals away the seed. And we go, oh, yes, it's going to be stolen away. Oh, we better be careful. But hang on a minute. What did the seed do for the birds? Oh, And then what did the birds do with the seed? 
scoops it out. And what happened to the seed then? It grew. Oh, some of you ought to be on your feet screaming. I was taught that, oh, we better be careful. The seed gets pinched and da-da-da-da. In the kingdom of God, it always grows. Now, it says that some lands on some weird rocky stuff and, and, and it grows and it's, it says it's almost strangled. Just get a picture, you know. It's struggling, but is it growing? Listen, all I'm trying to get you to see, there's a different picture about the kingdom of God. The seed goes into the ground, which is the earth, which is the world, and it is quietly, mysteriously doing its thing. Now, I love Rob Bell because he talks constantly in very positive terms. Is God going to win? As far as I'm concerned, he is. And I think we all need to have a, that, well, a, that sort of... Uh, Attitude towards the gospel. Would, do you agree? Now, anybody like the fact that I've just introduced that to you? Is that new to anybody? New to anybody? Ooh, good. Okay. So, two things I want to bring to you, and I'll try and do it quickly after I've blown my nose. Sorry. Something I'm going to have to pray for when I speak. I cry and my nose runs. I can't do anything about it. It's just one of those things. So put up with it. <laughs> okay. There's things I could say about, a lot about this, but I'm just going to try and keep it quite condensed. Matthew 5.13 talks about you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. I asked a question there. Is that what the world has done to the church in this last century? Has the church lost its saltiness? Ooh. Now, I could go down a right theological thing here and say, well, you know, salt purifies and it cleanses and it preserves. Yeah, does it? But if the church, all it does with the people who they believe don't know the truth of the gospel if all we are to it is salt, just imagine shoving a mouthful of salt into some, you know, into somebody's mouth. Is that very nice? Not at all. And we have, not we, when I talk about we, I'm not talking about the rock per se, I'm talking about the church in general, has taken on a task to purify the world. Somehow we'll salt it. We'll get it sorted. But that was never the church's job. It was to bring out the flavors of the world. Now, if you're into the whole understanding of the new covenant, you'll get it straight away because 
In the new covenant, in Jeremiah 31, it says, no longer will a man teach his brother know the Lord because they will already know him from the youngest or the least. I've lost that end bit, but don't worry. So if that's the case, the salt, which is shaken lightly, (laughs) brings out flavors, not purifies or preserves. Do you get me? Now, there's a confusion between sugar and salt because I've heard so many times, and I've mentioned it a few weeks ago, about the cheap grace suggests that the message of grace is some sort of sugary substitute that, oh, we're not really telling it how it is. But actually, the message of grace is the salty message. Is the salty message. The salty message is that your sins and unrighteous acts, I will remember no more. And you are not measured by the good you do, but by the grace you accept. Woo! Now, that's the salty message. The syrupy, sugary message is that you can do stuff that somehow helps you attain your own salvation. Do you get that difference? It's very subtle, but it's amazing. The world loves that sort of gospel because they're already bought into it in their achievement-orientated social strata. I might have put that wrong, but you get me. They already know that to be anybody, you have to work hard and you have to do this. You have to have right standing and you've got to achieve. Do you get me? So if the church carries on that message, they feel very much at home. But that's sugar. It's not salt. We are supposed to be the... Remember? Salt is not the whole meal. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Do you get it? Sprinkle. Sometimes the church has sugar-coated its message because that's what people want to hear. Now, you might say, no, that's not what people are wanting to hear. Actually, I believe it is. I believe that that's why the rock isn't as full as we would love it to be. Because I'll tell you, the message that we are bringing should have this house full, but it's not. Why? Because people don't like the idea of taking something that somebody else has given to them based on what they have done. And you might say, oh, no, 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 that's not me. Over the next week, just look at your life. (laughs) That's all I'll say there. Because we all like to feel that we've achieved something in ourselves, don't we? And yet, the incredible thing about God, I love this phrase, the bizarre program of salvation. I like that because that's starting to make sense when I think about what Jesus did. It's bizarre. 
Because he didn't go the way of the world that said, do this, do that, and the other, and you'll be a star and a hero. He went the way that everybody said, do this, and you'll just be absolutely ridiculed. He said, I'll do that. Why? Because he said, we're going to have the currency of faith, and you're going to put your faith into something that doesn't make any sense. You go, oh, I mean, we could go on. The Greeks wanted a philosophy that was greater than the philosophies that were going on in the time. The Jews wanted something of a saviour that was going to deliver them from the Roman, whatever it was. Did Jesus give either of them what they wanted? No. So he dies on the cross, basically misunderstood by everybody. But what he was basically doing is saying, this is my way. Get your head around this because this is the way that I'm going to bring salvation to many. Now, listen to this. Did you know that the word salvation, its root, listen, I love this. I only learned this last week. Salvation. French scholars, sal. Salt. Sal is salt. So the very thing about the gospel is the saltiness. <laughs> oh, I just love it. God brings through Jesus a very salty message into a lot of people. It's repulsive. And the reason why it's repulsive is because they want to do it their way. And we're going to move on in a little bit to, to talk about something else. Because I, I have got something else to say as well. Is this all right? See, Jesus rubs salt in the wounds of those who were taken up by the sweetness of their own success, the Pharisees. Do you like that? I think that's did good. But the Bible says that to the poor in spirit, who were the poor in spirit? It was those who knew right from the core of their beings that they couldn't hack it. They couldn't make it. They were trying. They failed. And I don't want to put a title on that group at all. Because if you do, you'll hear one thing I say and not other things I say. Everybody who fell into the category, whether it was by nationality, whether it was by uh, riches, you know, having no riches, whether they were sick. Um, I'm trying to think of the... So nationality, riches, I'm sorry, my brain. I think it's a bit of jet lag, actually. <laughs> my brain's not working so good. Point is this, there was a whole bunch who were excluded. And yet Jesus said to that group, you're going to inherit. You're going to inherit. You're even going to see God himself. Oh, how awesome is that? So here's the point. In this house, we're determined to have a salty message. Salty! Not the whole bowl. If anybody goes around shoving bowls of salt in people's mouths, I will personally kill them. But we're talking about this. Bringing out the full flavours of the world. Now, we flew over Salt Lake City. Sorry, we went to Salt Lake City, but... Flying out of Salt Lake City, we flew over the Great Salt Lake. If anybody's ever done that, 
you will agree with me, it is unbelievable. It's the greatest expanse of salty water, but not like sea, because sea, in the amount of salt that's in it, is pathetic at the side of the, the, the lake. It's unbelievably salty. And as we were flying over it, God said to me, he says, there's enough salt down there to heal the whole world. Don't you find it amazing that you've got Salt Lake City here and the Great Salt Lake there? <laughs> I love that picture. Enough salt. How amazing. And we are supposed to be that. Now, if I can quickly just have a little bit longer. There's another parable, and it's in Matthew 13. And it's just called the parable of the net. And... Uh, I was just totally taken up with this because in a few short verses, it tells you so much and I just absolutely adore it. Listen to this. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up to the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets and threw the bad away. Now, I'm just going to come in there. This is when all the goody two-shoes start salivating. The bad get thrown away. Do you get me? Because it says it there. Oh, yeah, the, good, the bad get thrown away. But then it goes like this. And I love this little turn. This is what Jesus does. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate. Now, listen, we've not got good and bad anymore. Is that the same? Yeah, I think so. Same translation up there. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. Now, that's very important. And I will get there in a minute. Can you wait? Because I'm coming with it. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace, salivating again. <laughs> where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we have to talk about this net. It's very particular that this translation of the word net is not just a net that they've cast over the side of a boat and, you know, pulled it up. It's actually called a drag net. And this is the only reference it is in this uh, scripture here. It's a net that's thrown down onto the bottom of the ocean and as the ship goes along, it's dragging on the floor of the ocean, and it's picking up everything. Say after me. Everything in its path. The kingdom, see, remember what it said? The kingdom is like, it's picking up everything. In its path. Now, you might say, oh, hang on a minute. It'll only go through a little portion of the sea. It's not in the whole sea. But it's actually inferred that the, whatever the stretch is that the net is being dragged is actually picking up every kind of everything that's in the sea. Do you, do you get the picture? So it's not isolated just for whatever's in that bit of sea. It's every kind that's in the whole sea. So, the church should be the same. Ooh. So, if 
The kingdom is something that the, the church should be imitating. We should be the dragnets. Oh, this is where it gets very uncomfortable. You're dragging it along and you're picking up everything. Heck. So let's talk about what the church does then. Before it gets to the shore, what does it do with the stuff that's in the net? It tries to sort it. What does the parable say? When the fishermen get to the shore, they sort it into good and into bad. Now, I've got to get you thinking here. You mustn't just think good behaviour, bad behaviour people. Good and bad. If you're fishing for eatable fish to sell at the market and you've got stuff in your net that can't be eaten, you would throw away the uneatable fish because you can't sell it. But there's nothing wrong per se with a fish you can't eat. Am I making sense? So if we're not careful, we read it in a very particular light and we get messed up. Everything, old boots, uh, broken lobster pots, tin cans, old bottles of uh, old monk rum that you find everywhere on the beach in India that I pick up and bring home. And there is no sorting until it gets to the I just thought that's amazing. There's no messing around with the net <laughs> until it gets to the shore. And then when it gets to the shore, the story is not as bad as you thought it was. Let me see. I've got it somewhere down here. I'll have to go. Oh, I'm going to get in the right mess in a minute. Hey, Joe, you think I'm good? I'm being a bit clever with this thing. <laughs> with this thing. That is exactly. What? Uh, yeah, but I've lost my place and I don't know where I am. Oh, well, never mind. Point is this. That we can be assured that every kind is represented in the net, net and it finally gets to shore. Now, if you want to say shore is heaven, I don't like that idea. I just think it's getting to the other side. <laughs> is that a nice idea? It gets beyond death. But here's the wonderful thing. If you wake up at the other side of death, <laughs> what have you already experienced? I just think this is amazing. You've already experienced the resurrection. Because, you get me? It's so simple, but you've already experienced the resurrection. You end up on the shore, in the net, being caught up on the shore because of the resurrection that Jesus did for us. He says he was the first fruits. He came alive in order that we might, and everybody says, oh no, but it's only those who believe. You what? Everybody's going to experience the resurrection. And they're all going to get to that shore. And let's just move on a little bit. There's a sorting day coming, but it does not take place before then. And like I've said, we should not be, I just keep seeing this snorkel diver going down and as it's being dragged along, it's trying to get into the net and fish out the things it doesn't want. And 
Who, what fisherman does that? We had a wonderful experience in uh, India last year and they, kids on the beach, they fish in the very old-fashioned way. They've got this massive net that must go to 200 yards down the river, the sea, and, the, the, you know, they the throw it out there and then the, when they start bringing it in, it's unbelievable to watch how they do it. And then as they bring it in, the little kids, they go around pulling the fish out of the net and throwing the ones that they don't want back into the sea and then the other ones in, into a, a plastic bag, basically, and that's their dinner home. To watch that actually happening, it makes such sense. We asked, what's wrong with them? Guess what? They're poisonous. Didn't eat, couldn't eat them. So that, isn't that sensible? Couldn't eat them, throw, throw them back. But the point I'm making is that if the church makes itself like some sports fisherman, <laughs> a bit like Peter Condy. <laughs> ah, we're talking about you, Pete. Who is only interested in speckled trout, for instance. Have we any right to do that when we're actually operating as fishermen employed by the great fisherman who says, just drag the net. Do you get it? How awesome. I'll move on quickly. Like I say, we, we try and sort out what's going on in the net before it gets to the, the end. The church has got itself involved in something that it was never supposed to do. Trying to improve the human race. <laughs> we think, oh yeah, but we can, we can, we can. I actually, <laughs> I'm not sure we can do that because if righteousness did not come by the law, just remember, it was tried. If all the law given at Sinai couldn't reform those people, why do we think we can do better now? But we think we can, don't we? Oh, if we do this. And remember, we've just come from a place and, and you know, the, 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 the religious group there, the Mormons, actually have a, an incredible idea of what is right and what is wrong and how you live. And it's very, very commendable. But does it change the world? The answer is no. So it's this. Let's get to the sorting. The sorting's only going to be done, like I've said, at the end of the age. Now, like I said, we start to salivate where we hear the words weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, because we immediately say, there you go. So am I going to get it? Now, you all look at me funny because you think, no, I don't think like that. I know you do. I just know you do, so come on. But this is the slight difference. When he says at the end of the, the age, he says, no longer are the fishermen going to do the sorting into good and bad, but the angels are going to do the sorting. Basically, God brings in a whole new crew that does what the master wants done. Now, if you don't start to smile as I start to say this, I'll think there's something wrong with you, so follow me here. They then separate making no judgment other than to separate, what does it say, the wicked from the righteous. Now, how did the angels decide who was righteous and who was wicked? <laughs> this is getting exciting for me. I'll get that to, to that bit in a minute. But did they make any judgments? The answer is no. They separated. 
Because the Bible says that the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Ah. John, if you want to have a look at that, John 5, 22. So even when the, the net is dragged to that shore at the other side of death, although there's a separating of, of wicked and righteous, the final judgment comes by one and only, and that's the Son. Who is the Son? Jesus Christ. Now, what judgment did he make on the cross when he was dying for the whole world? What judgment did he make? He even said in his words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I can take you to another scripture where it says that when the, when the and I'm better at this than me, I'll leave that to him. But when the son comes, son of man comes, he will convict the world to, as of righteousness and, what was the other one? Sin, righteousness and judgment. But he's not convicting them for unrighteousness. He convicts them for righteousness. Why? Because the work that God did through Christ on the cross, the gavel came down in the court of heaven and said, I condemn you all to righteousness, not unrighteousness. So I've put here, this story's getting exciting. It's not the salivating end that everybody was thinking, weeping, wailing, gnashing of teeth, horrible. Because according to this, I'm thinking, well, how can they sort the righteous from the wicked? Because they're actually all righteous. Oh, hang on a minute. So we've got a whole bunch that you could actually label the righteous wicked. I hope you're hanging with me here. Are you getting this? So God through Christ has convicted the whole world righteous. Everything's been caught in the net and getting to the other side. But then there's this separation of wicked and righteous. Now what I like about that, and if you get your head around this, it will change your life. And I'll tell you when I blow my nose. Righteousness is not to do with behavior. There are bad righteous. Oh, I hope you're getting this. As much as, oh, <laughs> there are bad righteous as well as there are good wicked. Please hear me, because this is, this to me is such a revelation. There, if it's about behavior, when I get, dragged through the net and some of you picture yourself you know you've been dragged through the net you're going to get to the shore when I stand on that shore if they want on the basis of my behavior to call me bad they can because I have been and sometimes still am does that make sense and I'm preaching this on the anniversary of a day that all hell broke loose over me and Everything was nearly destroyed. Yes, I made a huge mistake. But the thing is, when I stand on that shore, I will not be called bad because of my behavior. I will be called righteous because of what Christ has done. Do you see? Okay, now that's great and you're clapping. But then we have to talk about the wicked. So the wicked are pronounced righteous, but somehow 
at the point where they've been separated, they will not accept the pronouncement of righteous. How else can it be? Now that blesses my socks off because it sounds to me like the story that God through Christ wants to tell. Don't you think? Oh, happy ending. Everyone has been made righteous through Christ's work on the cross. But it's clear that some will choose to say, don't want it. Now you might say, surely, after experiencing the resurrection, won't they see and understand and get it? I think that that's where it makes very clear what the Bible talks about. It looks upon the heart. Because if the heart couldn't hack it before, it still won't hack it then to accept grace when it didn't want to accept grace before because it's to do with a hardening of the heart but how easy is it is it to actually say do you know what I'm just gonna I, I know why this is because people really find it very very difficult to let somebody else be their savior we all want to think we can do it ourselves but that will be what ultimately separates us. I think everybody in the world is being drawn <laughs> to a final situation where God wants to pronounce over them righteous. But I also believe that some are determined to reject that conviction that God has made over them through the cross and keep their own self-righteousness instead. So, you're not very excited. <laughs> Imagine the scripture that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. You know that scripture. Imagine if you're somebody who does not want to open the door and God knocks. I think we need a sound effect. Might just... Imagine that going on for eternity I think that sounds like hell to me do you get my point and if you're wanting to reject the gift remember it's a gift so nobody get the idea that you've got to do something other than just acknowledge the gift and even that sounds as though it's something that you have to do but actually, it's not something you have to do. It's just something you have to accept in the sense of it's a knowledge that it's already there. It's already done. It's a bit like, do we 
acknowledge the fact that the, the world's round and, you know, floating in space. That sort of acknowledgement of something that's been done. Do you get it? Not of works, lest any man should boast. And we're pretty good at that, aren't we, in ourselves. So, how do I want to finish this? I bring this tonight because I want you to be salty. I don't want you to be a bowl full of salt because that's horrible. It's like, it has the connotation to me of back in the Victorian days when kids used to have their mouths washed out with soap because they swore. Get that picture. It's horrible, isn't it? Who would do that to anybody? No. Just shake it gently. And then also as this house, we don't often stand up here and preach our vision or how, you know, we do things. We just get on with it, don't we? But running the race marked out for us is very important and unconventional by design. Because people don't gather in droves to a salty message. They really don't. But that doesn't matter. The church was never meant to be a place where birds who were sick or whatever with broken wings came in and basically we fixed them and then of course they stayed here forever. Where do, where do birds belong? Out there flying and doing their stuff. Now, do we want to have a place, a community where we meet and encourage one another and have friendships? Of course we do. But church was never meant to be a stopping place. But it was meant to be a starting place in our ability to discern God's work and presence in the world. It's the yeast. Are you aware that the yeast is rumbling? Quietly, doing its thing. Mysteriously, doing its thing. But it's doing its thing. So this is the salty message of the gospel. And the rock is determined to keep living it out and speaking it out. And I don't care what sort of things come against us. This is our message. Is anybody with me? Do you get it? Okay. All I want to do, all I want to do now is I want to pray for us all. I want to pray that, you know, when you've, when you've seen the way, I mean, we were followed by the Mormons like you wouldn't believe. They were trying to convert us all the time. And it was really very, very commendable. It was, it was beautiful to see the passion with which one, one young lady was from Venezuela, the other one was from Thailand, and they were recruited and in, in Salt Lake City because they're told that that's where they had to go. And they were very much following us, weren't they? Everywhere we went, following us because they were looking for an opportunity to convert us. And I honestly, I'm, I hope you hear me, I'm not saying that in any derogatory way at all. And I also see that as much as we've got to be as wise as serpent and as harmless as doves, we've still got to salt. Jeremy, salt. But what are we salting with? The message of the good news. The good news of the gospel. That God in Christ was gathering in the net to the shore. Every kind. Do you get me? That's the message. And so if you want to stand up with me, if this has really made any sense to you or touched your heart, all I want you to do is just commit yourself 
to shake your, shake your salt cellar a little bit more. <laughs> Not in order to fill this house, because I'm honestly, when people say, how big's your church? I don't even know what to say. I haven't even got a number that I've made up. I haven't a clue how many is in our place. I know that we've got more than are often in the building because, you know, better people ebb and flow. I'm not bothered because that's not our job to fill a building. Do you, do you get me? I love you to come and I love you to grow. I want you to hear things that release you and free you to live life to the full. But our job is the salt. Come on, do it. I, I find it really hard when I go to people's houses and they cook with no salt. Go work. I'll find out who my friends are now, won't I? Lord, we just honour you and we're absolutely amazed at your bizarre programme of salvation. We hardly can get our heads around it because it's so blooming amazing and we honor that it's awesome we know that it's not of works lest any of us might think we're clever and can do it ourselves but God we just want to thank you that you've called us to be part of your fishing troop we're glad as a church that we've we've got a net and we're dragging it and we're going to catch whatever goes in that net and we're not going to mess with it until the appointed time, and then it still won't be our job, it'll be yours. And we know, God, that you have convicted all men of righteousness. And so what a gorgeous story. And Lord, all I ask is that we might just shake our salt and that we might bring out the flavours, the flavours of the world. May we not be judgmental, may we not criticise, May we not point a finger at anyone or anything because like you also said in your, in your word to Peter, let no one call unclean what you have called clean. And Lord, let us operate as a house imitating the kingdom of God. That's what we want to do. And in all these situations, Father, I ask that your unconditional love, your radical grace, your unbelievable acceptance of us, not as we ought to be, but just as we are. May that be our heart to every single person we come in contact with. And let us see your kingdom come. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen.